Thanks for tuning in to our Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. I'm David Curtis, the worship and discipleship pastor here at our Rolling Hills Nolensville campus. We are so glad that you've joined us today for the final week of our series, The One. Today you'll hear from Pastor Jason. He'll be teaching from 1 Corinthians 13, and we'll be learning what the meaning of love is from a biblical perspective. Now here's Pastor Jason. Well, I can imagine that we have all been there. It's what I call a balmy Saturday in September, and you're invited to a wedding. And you're thinking to yourself, who has a wedding outside in September? But that's beside the point. And you go, and you're there, and some of you would have rather probably been watching college football, but you went because you were invited in a pre-COVID world. You would maybe arrive a little early and greet some of the guests, and you're ready for the wedding. And there's a downbeat and an entourage, and someone starts walking down the aisle, and you realize that there's joy and happiness and overpriced everything. And then a beautiful bride is there, and at some point in the ceremony, someone steps up to a microphone. And it's time for the reading. It's time for the dramatic reading or the scripture reading in the midst of the ceremony. And I'm sure you have been there. You've seen someone step up to a mic and they open their Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And they read as follows. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. Love never ends. And then as the reader beautifully traverses through 1 Corinthians 13, she nods at the bride and groom who, by the way, have looked better than they have ever looked and look better than they will ever look in their entire life. And it's some kind of unwritten rule that the bride and groom are thinking to themselves in that moment. What a beautiful poem that was read. It was almost as if the Apostle Paul knew there was going to be a lot of weddings And we needed something poetic. Love is patient. Love is kind. And they're just thanking themselves. Thank you, Paul. Well, they would actually be wrong. Because 1 Corinthians chapter 13 was not written so that we could have poems at weddings. The anticipated audience of 1 Corinthians 13 was, in fact, not a newlywed married couple. 1 Corinthians 13 was written to a church that was unraveling with tension. And that was unraveling with dissension. And there were arguments and there was infighting in between. There was disagreements. There was people thinking that they were better than one another. So I thought this morning I would give you a better rendering of the actual audience for 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It was not really written to a wedding environment, but this is more so what the environment would have been like. Dear church, I hope that you are well. Just in case you didn't know this, there are believers within your midst who are continually boasting and being really puffed up and arrogant, even when they know that they are wrong. They are saying to themselves, there is no way I could be wrong. There's also those within the church that are unwilling to suffer with one another and bear one another's burdens. Instead of helping one another, they are saying, and I quote, you have a problem. You need to take care of that yourself. Some of you in your midst are even saying, I insist on eating meat, even though my eating meat is very offensive to others. And so instead of changing my behavior, they just need to get over that. Many within your church are envious and jealous of one another because they're comparing their spiritual gifts, even though they've been taught that everyone has a spiritual gift and that no one is better or holier than another because they have a gift of prophecy or because they can speak in tongues. I just thought you should know. You have some room to truly grow in your understanding of what love is. I think you can do much better, signed a concerned church planter, Paul. That's more so the audience of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Now, to clarify, I don't need to get emails this week about vow renewal ceremonies. For those of you that had 1 Corinthians 13 at your wedding and you're thinking, should we redo all of this? 
Was this the wrong passage of Scripture? What is Pastor Jason saying today? I'm not saying that at all. It's still an amazing passage of Scripture. So you did well. No need to rehash, you know, re- erase that from your wedding day. But it's so vitally important for us to understand the context of this passage of Scripture because when we understand the context, what we tend to do is naturally draw all these implications from it. And are there implications from 1 Corinthians 13 about every relationship in your life? You betcha. But the original context is a group of people that thought they were better than one another, that were arrogant, that were tense, that weren't willing to be selfless towards one another, but rather marked by selfishness. In the church at Corinth, there was a group that thought they were superior than everybody else. Their actions and their attitudes were far superior. I'm better than you. That was the current climate of the day. So why is this relevant for us in 2020? I think it's relevant for us in 2020 because there are groups among us right now that think we are better than one another, that think we are far superior to one another, and you need to be more like me, and so forth and so on. It tends to be the climate of our day. Why is this relevant for marriage? Because in marriage, there's often one party that thinks he or she is better than another. And there's an attitude of superiority, and it it tends to kind of operate under, you need to be more like me, and it tends to go so forth and so on, and that's the climate of the day. Do you catch my drift? We live in a world that's divided by what? Democrat versus Republican. We're divided by, I think masks are a good idea, you think masks are a terrible idea. We're divided by things of, of, of social matters. We're divided by economic divide. We're, we're divided just in co-worker relationships where I have a way that something should be done and you have a way that something should be done and never the twain shall meet. And so therefore, because you do not do it exactly like I think it should be done, then you are wrong. And what Paul is saying here is there's a better way. Maybe you're in a relationship right now that has a little bit of an impasse. And you're wondering who's going to give, who's going to take. Paul is saying there is a better way. There's something that I want you to lean into. There's something that I want you to understand. And ultimately what Paul is saying is that this better way to live our lives is to live a life of love. For love to be the ethos of our life. For love to be at the core of what we desire to do. And so we're going to open our hearts and minds today to see what this kind of love looks like. How do I live with this kind of God-honoring love? And what are the implications for each and every relationship that I have? I'm so grateful that you guys are here with us this morning. And so I want to encourage you to open to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, now that I have just told you guys that this is not a passage of Scripture that was written for a wedding, let's dig into it and actually see what the beauty of 1 Corinthians 13 is because it's amazing. You see these words up here on the screen if if you don't have a copy of God's words with you. I'm going to go ahead and just read uh, the the entire chapter. Paul says, starting in verse 1, if I speak in tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or clinging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it's not proud, it does not dishonor others, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. And when I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. 
For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Chapter 13 immediately follows chapter 12, right? That's the easiest part of the message to understand. And what's happening in chapter 12 is that this church is arguing about whose gift is better, whose spiritual gift is superior, my gift or your gift. And what Paul starts in chapter 13, again, my word's not Paul's. Paul starts chapter 13 by saying, stop it. Stop it. You can do better. Stop it. Stop the arguing. Stop the fighting. Stop kind of copying this attitude of superiority because he says love is more important than anything you will do. Love is more important than any gift you will ever have. And you see this there in your worship guide, and you're going to see it here on the screens. Love is greater than any gift I will ever possess or any action I will ever complete. If you want to get where life really is fun and really what it means to live a God-honoring, fulfilled, joy-filled, abundant life, then Love is the answer. Love is greater than any gift I will ever possess or any action I will ever complete. Paul says, if I have a gift, but I don't have love, then what good is that gift going to do? If I have an action and love is not the undercurrent of that action, then that action can easily be meaningless. In fact, what Paul says is that that's a clanging cymbal or a noisy gong. And it's a theatrical term because there was, there was these large amphitheaters and they would need some kind of amplification device. And they didn't have microphones like we have now. And so these resounding gongs would take a small voice and amplify it. Lots of hollowness, lots of reverb. And what Paul is saying is that if you exercise a gift without love, you're just kind of a big, loud, clanging cymbal. The best illustration that I have in modern context is if you're a fan of Charlie Brown. And you remember Charlie Brown's teacher? Wah, 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 wah. Wah, 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 I still to this day don't know why that was something that had to happen in Charlie Brown. But you're sitting there thinking, what is happening? What's being said? Because there's some disconnect between the words and what I'm actually hearing. And Paul says that actions without love, there's always going to be a disconnect. Now, to illustrate this point for you this morning, I want to create a peaceful environment for you. In fact, I want you to go ahead and just close your eyes for a moment. We're going to have a moment of peace right here in the middle of our church service. And I want you to imagine for a second that you're on the beach and there's an ocean breeze. You're, in fact, on a very secluded beach. There's nobody running around. You have a great book in your hand. There's a cool breeze that's blowing. There's sand between your toes. And it's so peaceful. Just stay in the moment of peace. So peaceful. That book is so good. Okay, you can come out of your moment of peace. Now, how easy was it for you to be peaceful in that moment? Not very peaceful at all. You can't experience the joy of the moment because the clanging of the symbol. And what Paul is saying is that when you and I try to exercise a gift and there's not an undercurrent of love, we're just a big clanging symbol. And people cannot really see the love of Jesus Christ coming through us. 
Because if my actions and my attitudes are not couched in love, then I'm going to be misunderstood. I'm going to be misrepresented. I'm not going to fully be experiencing what it is that God desires to do. So what is this type of love that I should strive for? What does this look like? Well, Paul answers that. And he says, this is the better way. Stop the fighting. Stop the dissension. Stop the arguing. This is the better way for all of your relationships, for your marriage, for your dating relationships, for your friendships, and certainly for the world that we live in right now. Paul says, this is the better way. This is what love really looks like. Go to verse 4. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. This type of love, friends, comes with a price, though. This is a type of love that's not easy. In fact, this is a type of love that is selfless. And what the Greek word for this type of love in 1 Corinthians 4 is, is agape love. Agape love is the most used kind of Greek definition of love in the Scripture because agape love is a selfless love. Do you want to take a guess as to what Greek word is used in reference to Jesus when the love that he showed us? It's agape love. It's not selfish love, but it's selfless love, saying you are more important than me. So this isn't love that's based on emotion. It's not love that's infatuation. It's not something that I can just kind of feel one moment and not feel the next, because emotions can come and go based on how convenient the moment is. Infatuation can come and go. Feelings come and go. And Paul says, love is different. And you strive to show this agape love that's selfless, not only in your actions, but in your deeds and in your words. And see if God doesn't bring the tensions down. And see if God doesn't heal the brokenness and heal the hurt. You see this here on your notes as well, but a big idea out of the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is love that isn't selfless is worthless. Love that isn't selfless is worthless because love that is selfish is really more an emotion. It's infatuation. It's, it's not true agape love. Love that isn't selfless is worthless. Go back to verse 3. Paul says, if I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. He says, if I give everything I have, if I give all of myself and I do that without love, then I truly gain nothing. See, I can give you all the good gifts in the world, but without love, they're just nicely wrapped presents. I can give you lots of things, but without love, the effect and impact is unfortunately somewhat meaningless. In marriage, have you noticed this? In marriage, you can try to buy happiness in marriage. You can say, instead of spending time with the most important person in my life, I'm going to just continually lavish gifts up on them so that they will know that they're important because that's a little more convenient for me than spending time with them. I'm not saying that buying gifts for someone is bad, but if it's not done with love, it's meaningless. What about your family? What about your kids? Sometimes I will hear parents say, we're working really, really hard so that we can do better things for them, so that they can have nicer things. Is it wrong for your kids to have nicer things? Absolutely not. But what do your kids need more than nicer things? They need you. What do your kids need more than nicer shoes and a nicer car 
They need you. I'm a firm believer that one of the best ways to spell love is T-I-M-E. And for me to show you my time, it's one of the most selfless things that I can do because time is one of those things that every ounce that I give to you is an ounce that I will never get back. Money, you can always get more money. Car, there's always a nicer one. But time is something that I have a pre-described amount of that God only knows. And so when I show it to give it to you and I give it to my wife and I give that to my, my kids, I'm giving them the most selfless part of myself. If the people in your life can never make time for you or if you can never make time for people in your life, then there's probably some selfishness that is rearing its ugly head. And selfishness runs on this track, and agape love runs on this track. And you and I are standing here square in the middle, and we've got a choice to make. Do I want to be selfish, or do I want to have this agape love, this selfless type of love? I'm so thankful in my life that I've had this model. I have told you guys many stories over the years about my parents, um, because I think the way that they live their life is a story that's worth sharing, to be honest with you. And my dad and mom worked very hard to provide for my brother and I, and we were always a priority for them. In fact, my dad had opportunities to take different jobs that would have paid him more money than he was making, but he decided to forego those opportunities because that was a sacrifice that he wasn't willing to make. Because to take those jobs that would have had given us more money meant that there was something that would have to change over on this side of the equation that he just wasn't willing to do. And that has very drastically impacted the way that I seek to live my life and that I seek to parent. Some of my absolute best memories as a kid, though, were really under the umbrella of being raised by selfless parents. Uh, Things were important to them. We did things together frequently. Um, And we always took a family vacation. And some of my Fondest memories of childhood really are the family vacations we would go on. And one of the places that we would very frequently go was Pigeon Forge, Tennessee. I grew up in the hills of eastern Kentucky, and Pigeon Forge was heaven on earth for us. I still, to this day, like Pigeon Forge. I mean, I would pack up my car and go right after church if anybody wants to join us. I mean, because as a kid, it was fudge, pancakes, go-karts. I mean, who could ask for anything more? Right, you guys are ready to go. I, y'all are smiling. You're like, I want to go to Pigeon Forge right now. And we would load up in my dad's 1981 tan Chevette. Not Chevelle, Chevette. Okay, this thing had no air conditioning um, with leather seats, which is an amazing combination, you know, to have no air conditioning and leather seats. And we would head down the road to Pigeon Forge, and we would stay at a hotel that was very cheap as long as it had a pool because my dad would not dare book a hotel for his boys that didn't have a swimming pool. And my mom would pack coolers of food so that we could stretch the vacation budget more and more. And my dad would have a wad of cash that he would take on vacation that he had saved all year, and it was simply called vacation money. And he would lay that cash out every night, and we would count to see how much we had left. And you know when we went home? We went home when the money ran out. He'd be like, kids, if you eat mom's bologna sandwich, we might be able to stay one more night. And I am so grateful for those moments. Because what those moments taught me is that 
selflessness and time and attention are so much grander than the gifts and the things that we do. See, my parents were selfless. It wasn't about them. I'm sure that they would have rather had nice things, but it was about us. And it was about time being spent together. And I recall those moments with such great fondness and such great detail because I think that it's what Paul was trying to get us to understand about what love really is. What love really is, back to the text, Paul says to live this way, you've got to understand how to love this kind of way. And you've got to understand that this type of love does not come easy. This is a sacrifice. But you've also got to realize what love really is. Go back and look at verses 4 through 8. If I were to ask you this morning, in fact, what is the opposite of love? What would you say? You can talk at church. What is the opposite of love? Hate. You would say hate, and that's an accurate answer. But I want to give you a different angle this morning. See, the opposite of love is not just hate. The opposite of love is hate. That's an accurate statement. But the opposite of love is not just hate. We think love opposite hate. But there's so much more to it. Look back at verse 4. He says, love is patient, love is kind. Love does not envy, love does not boast. You know, I could go in and reword all of these things. Love is patient could easily be reworded when I make it personal. Love is patient could easily be rewarded to, I have to die to my desire for things to always work out on my timetable. Love is kind could easily be rewarded to, I have to die to my bad attitude. Love does not envy could easily be rewarded to, I have to die to my desire to want to keep up with you opposed to being fully content with what I have. Love is not boastful could easily be rewarded to, I have to die to my desires to always call attention to myself. Love keeps no records of wrong could easily be rewarded to, I have to die to my desire to get even, even when I feel wronged. But see, we tend to say things like, well, I don't hate you, so I must love you. But if I'm not happy for you when things are going better for you than they're going for me, do I really love you? According to Paul, I don't. If I can't forgive you for something in some way that you've wronged me, if I can't forget those things, I might stand here and say, well, of course I don't hate you, but I can't really forgive you and forget about the things that you've done. Then do I really love you? Because, see, when we make it personal, we realize that all of these words describe what love really is. And one of the clearest measures of whether I really love or not is, am I able to show you these things? And am I able to live by these principles when I am pressed and when I am put in these circumstances? Sometimes I will hear um, a couple say something along the lines of, you always dot, dot, dot. You always do dot, dot, dot. And I want to think to myself, Love doesn't keep a record of wrongs. Or sometimes I've been guilty of saying this. You know what? I'm just too tired. I'm in too bad of a mood to spend time with you. I still love you, but I just cannot make time for you right now. And Paul says, love is kind. That it's not about being self-seeking. So the opposite of love is hate. But the opposite of this love, love in this passage isn't just hate. The opposite of love is boastfulness and arrogance and envy and jealousy, and vindictiveness, and ultimately, you know, choosing to kind of adopt a posture of, I'm just going to give up when the going gets rough. And Paul addresses that. Look at verse 8. He says, love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease, 
And where there are tongues, they will be stilled. And where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child and I reasoned like a child. And when I became a man, I put away the childish things. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part and then I shall know fully even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. You see this here on your notes, but love remains when everything else ceases. When everything else falls away, love is what should be the remaining most important characteristic. Love means that I don't give up. And we're living in a world right now, and I I get it. I I totally get it. We are living in a world right now where it seems like the sky is literally falling, doesn't it? But love remains. The greatest of these, faith, hope, and love, love never ceases. So does that mean that the the things of this world are going to eventually fall by the wayside? Yes. What remains? This love that I have with God and this love that I have with other people. Maybe you're in a relationship right now and it seems so dead end and there's such a lack of hope, there's such a lack of joy in the midst of that and the sky might literally be falling. But I want you to know that what Jesus says is that your love for him remains and that never ceases and I pray that you would draw strength from him. You heard a story last week of Tim and Jennifer Ranson. If you weren't able to be here with us, we told the story about Tim and Jennifer Ranson, who are a part of our church, and about how they didn't give up in their marriage. When things were difficult, they didn't give up. And I want to share another story with you today. And in fact, I want you to listen to this story. It's going to be up here on the screen via video. And I want you to listen to the story of Scott and Kathy Kuhn. And Scott and Kathy Kuhn are a part of our Rolling Hills Community Church family, and they're going to remind you about how love remains when everything else ceases. Take a look. I think for, for me in my, my younger years, I, when you say those vows, you think uh, for richer, for poor. I think I thought, well, you're poor when you first get married, but then you get richer as you, as you get married, right? There's this income like this, which has not been necessarily the case. I think in the sickness and health, you think, well, we're healthy now because we're young. When we get old, one of us is going to be sick, but that's natural because we're going to be 80 or 90 or whatever. That's not been the case either. <laughs> I did mean my vows when I said them, and they were certainly important and are important, but um, it doesn't work out as a linear kind of graph like you think it would. It looks like this. I would say dating, I just thought marriage would be a bigger, better extension of dating. It was so exciting. It was so adventurous. We were so, we felt so in love, um, and we knew, we knew that there were marriages out there that had conflict and weren't working, but that that wasn't gonna happen to us because we were so in love that we could just conquer. We were gonna conquer anything and everything. It, it was gonna be absolutely amazing and nothing could- No big no, problems. No problems, absolutely no problems. Didn't think we'd have any problems. No. There came a point about year 10 when I recognized that I just didn't feel happy anymore. This wasn't exciting anymore. It was really hard and it seemed like it would be easier to not be married. It was at that point when the Lord really got a hold of my heart and my life and 
um, I started asking the Lord to reveal to me the things of my heart that needed changing and stopped focusing so much on what he was doing or what he wasn't doing. And the more I learned about the Lord and the more I learned about how much he loved me and what he had done for me and the way that he loves me, the more I started understanding what that looked like to love the Lord and to love other people. I had to work on my relationship with Christ with me. Um, and when I did that, I became a better husband. I became less self-focused. I became less prideful, less self-centered, less transactional and, and consumer-driven. And, and she did the same thing. When we each have focused on our relationship with God, it's allowed us to uh, not only improve our marriage, but to have Him be the center and be able to work through life together with a Christ-like focus. And so to be able to help each other through situations, through difficulties, even just everyday things. And it wasn't about how I felt in the ins and outs of every day, and it wasn't about what I would get in return from Him. It was about loving Him in a way that would glorify the Lord. My job is to be the husband Christ has called me to be and be more Christ-like, and so that's a choice every day. And it works really well when you follow His design, and I'm certainly more in love with her today than I've ever been. And so the difference in what I thought marriage was and what it actually has been is a huge difference, but it's so much better than I thought it was. Yeah, I would say happily ever after is much different than I originally originally thought happily ever after was the fairy tale. It was the way that the world um, perceives happily ever after. It's the fantasy, you know. So there is the the excitement in our marriage and there is the joy in our marriage and then there's the fun and there's the adventure uh, but there's also the hard and but it's a it's a hard that we do together a little bit about my diagnosis I was diagnosed in uh, January this year with uh, an aggressive form of leukemia uh, it was definitely a shock as uh, most cancer diagnoses are I've undergone gone several rounds of chemo um, several procedures and things and even back then, in the most difficult times in our marriage, we didn't realize that God was prepping us and preparing us for what we would be walking through in this season right now of walking through a, a cancer diagnosis, walking through trials and suffering, um, and to, to be able to see what He's done in our life. and. If we were to walk, have walked through that back then, I just, I don't know that we would, we would have made it back then. And walking through it now, like, okay, we're, we're okay because we have the Lord. We're okay because we have the strength and we have the hope that comes from that relationship with Him. Yeah, I wouldn't trade this time with the physical sickness for 15 years ago when we were physically fine, but our marriage was in shambles. I wouldn't make that trade. This is, this is the better, even though it's in the sickness, um, because in the health, when we weren't walking with the Lord, um, that, was, that, was a lot more that was a lot more difficult because we were trying to do it in our own strength. And, and that, was just, that just led to destruction. 
um, when we focus on how can we glorify, how can we use this relationship to glorify and honor the Lord and grow in our relationship with the Lord, grow in our relationship with one another, then teach our children um, who the Lord is and what it looks like um, to love the Lord. It's an amazing journey, but it's one that takes perseverance and it takes sacrificial effort. Um, but thankfully, we know that God gives us the resources that we need through His Word and how to walk this out in a way that, that is obedient to Him. It's a lot of work, but it's, it's more than worth it. What would it take in your life to have the most important person in your life walking through a leukemia diagnosis and be able to say, this is the better? When we said for better or for worse, this isn't the worse. This is the better. Because God has not left us. God is with us. And to hear a precious couple say, we wouldn't trade this for the season when we were physically well, but spiritually a wreck. We'll take this. Why? Because this is the better. And he's there with us. See, if I yearn for that, if you yearn for that, then there's one thing you must realize, and you see it there in your notes, and that, that is, simply put, every definition of love I create apart from Jesus will always fall short. Every definition of love that I create apart from Jesus will always fall short. It's why 1 John 4.19 is such a powerful verse of Scripture. We love. Why? Because he first loved us. We love I'm able to show you love. I'm able to show you agape love. Why? Because I'm an awesome guy? No. Because he first loved us. I'm a conduit for that love. So our understanding of love starts with him and starts with understanding the sacrifice that he made for us. It's the beautiful power of the gospel. And if you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I hope and pray that you realize that that is the primary relationship that God desires to have for you because that gets attended to and that is something that you work on in your life. And I promise you every relationship in your life begins to take shape and take form because he is the one that's loved us and that love pours through us to another. So I don't know where you are today, but I'm going to have you bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. And perhaps you have an idea of love right now that's not based on him. And you just need to bring that to him. Maybe you're here and you're not walking in a relationship with Jesus. And you need to know the power of the gospel because he first loved us. That's how we love. That's why we love others. Or maybe you're here and um, you're just in a relationship that's not going well. There doesn't seem to be much hope. There doesn't seem to be much joy. And you need to realize that God is here with you and he's fighting for you. Or maybe you're here and you're just lonely. The relationships have not worked out in your life the way that you thought they would. And I pray that if that's your story, that you would just... By, by way of worship this morning, say, Jesus, I know that you're enough for me. And because of your love, I desire to grow in your love and grow in relationships with others. So God, I pray that you would find us all faithful today. 
wherever we may be. Please find us faithful because we need you desperately. It is the desire of our hearts, Lord, to, um, to be men and women that show that agape love, that aren't selfish, but that are selfless. But we know that we cannot muster up the power in our own strength, our own will, our own might to do that. So I pray that you would meet us here in this moment. Lavish your love up on us so that we can go love others. Lord, we need you. We need you. We need you. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. It's in the powerful name of Christ that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to learn more about what's going on in the life of Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app or visit our website at rollinghills.church. From there, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook to stay up to date on what's happening and ways you can connect. Thanks for listening. We're thankful for you.